Welcome to the Same 24 Hours podcast. The podcast is currently on more or less hold to accommodate the recordings for the daily community meetup. During this crazy time, I'm having daily meetings online via Zoom where we can all join and see each other on video and there's special guests. And so I thought I would post the replays here on the podcast so those who can't listen live can listen later. So here we go, continuing on with the daily community meetups. If you'd like to join, all you have to do is go to swimbikemom.com forward slash meet, M-E-E-T, swimbikemom.com forward slash meet, and you can join us any day of the week, 12 noon Eastern during the week, and weekends I'm doing 8 p.m. Eastern on Saturday and Sunday. So I hope you all enjoy this episode of the Daily Community Meeting. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. All right, everyone. Happy Monday. Do days even matter anymore? That is the real question. (laughs) Um, Welcome to the Daily Community Meetup. I'm very excited about our guest today. Dr. Sasha Hines is here, so we will chat with her in just a little bit. Um, I want to start with a quote I read this morning um, in Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, which was like, whoa, and it is this, the soul does violence to itself when it is overpowered by pleasure or pain, and I thought, oh my goodness, that explains so much, especially like in the realm of sobriety, because I know when I was drinking, um, I was always trying to escape pain with the drinking and then you get certain pleasure from drinking, but that's overpowering. (laughs) And then you end up back in the pain cycle and it's like this overpowering. And I thought that was such a great quote because the word overpowered is what is key. I mean, we're going to have pleasure and pain, right? We're going to have lives that experience that, but it's the, the key word is the overpowering. And that was really impactful to me this morning. And I also, and it continued when the soul allows any act of its own and any movement to be without an aim and does anything thoughtlessly and without considering what is, it being right that even the smallest things be done with reference to an end. So thinking about, you know, how our actions have significance and consequences, not like, you know, being clinging to that to where it makes us crazy. But I just thought that was really helpful for me. Um, Struggling with food and alcohol in my earlier life, especially, I mean, I still struggle with food a lot and hopefully Dr. Hines and I, we can chat about that. But that, idea of escaping the pain was always the aim because, and and that's our aim as humans. Most of the time, I think it's like, we just, you know, you're trying to find a, a space. And so my challenge for you today is if you're feeling this big swing, the pendulum of pain to pleasure, to pain, to pleasure, how can we make it swing a little less? You know, what is something that you can do today that might help the swing slow? Um, it might be working out. It might be turning off the news. <laughs> it might be reading some fiction. I am reading fiction and I feel like my world is better. I used to read all the time fiction and I got into reading, you know, psychology and self-help and all this heavy stuff. Like my own book is <laughs> quite heavy. Then I wrote a heavy book and then I, I didn't realize how much I was missing fiction. And I feel like my life is better because of it. So. Um, I said my internet connection was unstable. Hopefully I'm back. Okay, so that's where I wanted to start today. And I also want to start with a moment of closing our eyes and gratitude, like I like to start these calls with. Not necessarily a meditation. You can call it whatever you want. This is Meredith Atwood style meditation, which is free as a bird. We do what we want here. So, um, but I do like to do this because if you're anything like me, You're not taking time to just sit and breathe. And if this call 
<laughs> every day is the only time people sit and breathe. And then on the replay, sit and breathe. And I feel like I'm doing something good. <laughs> so if you will, unless you're driving, just close your eyes with me for just a minute. And take a deep breath. However you want to breathe. And feel yourself relax just for a moment. Take another deep breath. Let it out through your mouth. And think about one thing that you're grateful for right now, even if it's just coffee, even if it's just internet, something you're grateful for. And take a deep breath and be happy in that thought. I want to read something and then we'll open our eyes. This is from the breath of God. What is alive about you is always alive. When you understand that what is alive about you remains alive always, then what can you ever worry about again? What can you be afraid of? What can you lose? At the most basic level, this understanding brings a person freedom from fear. At the highest level, it brings a person complete fulfillment. In the middle, it leads you to make a careful effort to concentrate and to develop discrimination. Understanding that what is alive in you is alive forever and that what is not alive never was. You no longer require complicated answers. Take one more deep breath. Let it out. And open your eyes. All right. Thank you so much for doing that with me. Again, these meetups are for as much for me as they are for you guys joining. Because I, I mean, I'm here with a tomato face because I just came in from a workout, like blew in. Um, so I know how, how busy things are getting right now. So I'm so thrilled about our special guest today. Dr. Sasha Hines is here. I'm not even sure how we, we met, but I know now that we know each other, we have a lot of mutual people <laughs> and it's really cool. So welcome. Oh, I'm so psyched to be here. I actually <clears throat> had to let all you guys know that I am recovering from COVID-19. I had, we all had COVID-19. So Did you really? Yeah, 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 yeah. We, I, um, on the 13th of March, where I live right now, um, we have about as many per capita cases as New York City. I just happen to live in a place that a lot, it's a very small town with a lot of people traveling in and out of it. So we had, we have a ton of cases here. And uh, so I don't even know how I got it. I locally, but um, I tested positive for the flu. I came down with some flu symptoms on the like 13th of March. And then we didn't, I didn't get a COVID test because they didn't have any. And so, but I did test positive for the flu. So then <laughs> we were all like, woo, I just had the flu, no big deal. And then um, one of my clients is a doctor, a brilliant doctor. And so I was telling her this very, I was like, God, this flu is so annoying because I've lost my sense of taste and I can't taste anything. <laughs> and I was like, it doesn't seem like a normal flu, but you know, it's like a sinus infection. She's like, yeah, you don't have the flu. You have COVID, go get tested. So wow, I, is that like a big symptom of it? Is losing your taste? You lose your taste. Well, it's one of them. I, I, I don't know. Not for everybody. There's so much variability of taste. I've done some drive-through testing, so I went to go get tested, and um, eight days later, seven days later, I got my positive COVID test back. So, I mean, we've been quarantined for 
now a number of weeks. So, but yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. I think it's sort of better to be on the other side of it now because I don't have the anxiety of getting it. I've already gotten it. <laughs> and you didn't know you had it for so long, but I didn't know that I had it. I thought that I had the flu and the, but my client was like, what are you doing working? I was like, well, I don't have a fever anymore and I'm not leaving my house. So it's probably fine. She's like, no, no, no. Your symptoms sound like they're not. The flu. Oh my goodness. Right. Yeah. But kids were fine. My husband also had symptoms. Um, and we were just sick, you know, just like a lingering kind of ongoing sick. But. Wow. Well, I am so glad you're okay. Um, <laughs> Me too. I, don't... I feel like it's half the time better. I, about like four days ago, I woke up and I was like, oh, I have to be human again. My brain is firing again. And it's good to be healthy. Oh, so put a whole different, like, perspective on my sheltering in place. <laughs> right, right. Well, tell everyone, yeah. so I think we're both having Wi-Fi issues a little bit. I think I've got some on my end. You might have some on yours, but um, hopefully we can find a rhythm. Um, and I don't know if it's me or you. Okay. Maybe it's me today. I've gotten everyone off the internet. So, okay. Well, as long as it's just me, maybe it's, it's fine. Um, okay. So let's, Sasha, let's start a little bit back with your story. Cause I think you have such an interesting story to how you came to be a psychologist and how you're doing what you're doing now. And so just kind of introduce yourself to everyone and, and let them know your backstory. Cause it really is interesting. Yeah, so um, gosh, I think I'm like one of the few people on this planet that actually wanted, set out to be a life coach at age 23. <laughs> I don't know, I think that's sort of more unusual than, than like the mid-career change to become a life coach. But um, I um, was struggling in my late teens and early 20s with terrible eating disorder and um, I, I then got into all this recovery, but it was just like, you know, this, um, I was smart. I was, uh, you know, high achieving. I had done all the right things. I was like, you know, a good kid, made good decisions. Um, but as every, you know, if you guys, any of you guys are struggling with addiction or have struggled with addiction in the past, like, it's just, um, my ability to process emotion, to um, have like dealt with some of the traumatic things that had happened to me. Uh, I did not grow up in a family where that was the modus operandi, you know, it was sort of just like, don't talk about it, move on. Um, and a lot of this kind of caught up with me at that age. Just a, It was just, you know, I think a confluence of a lot of things that had happened. And um, I just could not function. I really didn't know how to take care of myself. Um, I was really struggling with food for me. That was my drug of choice, which, you know, as we now know now is so much to do about nurturing yourself and being able to take care of yourself, right? I mean, like the metaphor of not literally being able to feed yourself. It's really kind of interesting. Um, well, when you say that, like, is there, I don't want to I want you to keep continuing, but that's so interesting, not being able to feed yourself. And, and how is that, how have you found in your work that that goes for all, is that for all eating disorder spectrums, like overeating, undereating, or is it, have you found it's more in, in like the undereating category with the not um, nurturing yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's sort of like different, and I'm in, in, in full disclosure, my, my area of expertise is not really um, in eating disorders, but just my experiential, but um, I, you know, I would say there is a lot of, um, you know, like an, a real like inability to nurture and care for oneself. I mean, if you think about like your most fundamental relationship with nurturing yourself is food. Yeah. Right. Food and yeah. sleep, maybe. Yeah. Bring yourself to bed. But if you think about like your job as a parent, you know, when I have two kids and my job as their mother in those early days, it's like my only job, right? Is to help them with three things. And that is feeding them, putting them to bed, and helping them clean up their fecal matter. That's it. 
<laughs> like that's basically it. And, um, you know, and obviously like giving them that like warm, that sense of safety, but I'm giving them a sense of safety by taking care of those basic needs. Yeah. Or yeah. if you have a 12 year old who refuses to eat anything but bread, we call him a breaditarian, um, trying to force half of a banana down his gullet today. <laughs> I literally was going, let's eat it, let's eat it. And he's laughing and trying to pretend like I'm the worst thing he's ever seen because, you know, he's yeah. and he thinks mom's terrible. Um, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Just an aside, carry so, on. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, it's so interesting. There are literally two things that we can't, I mean, three, really, like you can't help, you cannot make someone go to sleep. Cannot. You cannot force somebody to eat. They're unwilling to do so. And you cannot make someone go to the bathroom. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Literally, that's it. I mean, those are the three things that we actually control. So <clears throat> it's not surprising that, um, you know, people, one of the ways that people respond, and I'd say it tends to be more for women than in general, as a very big generalization, a gender difference in terms of how women respond. Women are more apt to have eating issues. I think they're more apt to be internalizers rather than externalize their trauma. Um, yeah. But nonetheless, like it's, it's an enormous amount of control. Yeah. Right? Like what I, what I do and do not put into my body. Um, so, you know, I think I was struggling with all of this stuff um, and just base, just fundamentally could not take care of myself. And it got to the point where in college I, um, you know, sort of the origin of the story is that I got, by the time I was about a junior in college, I remember I called my mother and I said, like, you got to come and stay with me in college, at school. I'm going to flunk out for my exams. My eating disorder is so out of control. And, you know, she's like the sweetest, but, you know, just the, my, I come from a waspy family and my mom, like with her two canvas, like LL Bean tote bags full of library books on eating disorders, like comes to stay with me in college. <laughs> and so anyway, I'm trying to like understand what is wrong with your daughter, right? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> was, she, was she a psychologist too? No, no, not at all. Oh, at all. oh, oh. So she's like me, like an armchair shrink who has all oh the books. Oh my God, not even a little bit. She's like knows more about Ming Dynasty porcelain than she knows about human nature. But um, <laughs> she, uh, but she was very willing and just like, it's just such a sweet, like I look back and like, oh my gosh, my mom with so much good intention and, you know, trying to be helpful and trying to understand as best she could. Anyway, so in that stack of books that she brought up to, you know, was reading while I was studying for my exams, um, was a book by a woman who was of this, you know, this was probably um, like 99 or 2000. And she, there was a book by this woman who was a life coach and she'd gone to Harvard as I had and been an athlete as I had. So she'd had a similar story. And in fact, had actually gone to the same grade school that I had gone to, this woman who was writing this book. Um, and it was, the book was written about her recovery from her, from bulimia, which is what I was dealing with. And my mother's like, oh my gosh, you know, this is you, this is your story. You need to read this book. And I read it and on the dust jacket cover, it said, um, you know, uh, she's life coach. Or her, the book was called, my name is Caroline, by this woman named Caroline Adams Miller. And it said, she's now a life coach. And I remember us both being like, what is a life coach? Yeah, yeah. What is that? What is that thing? I don't even know what that is. So um, I called her. Um, I, of course, my mom like facilitated all this. You know, she's like, you have to call her and whatever. So I did. And um, we got on the phone and she's like, you know, was we got to put you on a food plan, et cetera. And I clicked. I mean, I hung up on her. I was not ready to do it. Um, but that was the beginning, you know, put the seed in my head. And what the seed in my head was someone else who had the similar story to me recovered from this thing that feels impossible. Like, and I remember yeah. going out to dinner with my mother that week when she was staying with me in college, it was like my bit, you know, it was my, it was the first time I'd really ever opened up about having, you know, just the degree of dysfunction that was in my life at the moment, you know, at that time. And I remember saying to my mom, you know, I'll never be normal again. I'll never be normal again. I'll never remember. I'll never have a day where I'm not obsessing and thinking about this constantly, where I don't every single 
thought in my head is not some kind of negotiation or calculation about you know what I'm eating, how much I'm eating, how much I'm exercising. It was like a constant, nonstop um, ticker tape in my head that I just felt relentless and oppressive, and um, it, it just felt like a living hell. And I, and I and every and every day would be a new promise to get better the next day, and then the total, you know, blowing myself off, blowing it off, same, you know, back Sisyphean health. You know, I'd push that boulder up, and then I'd be right back where I was the next day. And so, you know, reading a book by someone saying, yeah, I know what that now never feel normal again feels like. And now I don't have that anymore. Now I've had long-term recovery and I'm like, it just put this little nugget of little seed of hope. Yeah. Some possibility that it could be different, even though I could not see it at all. I couldn't see the pathway at all. Yeah. And it's so interesting because I can feel that way with alcohol because, um, and I guess the reason is I don't have to drink. I don't have to have it near me. I don't have to look at it. Um, and I've struggled with the food piece. Well, one, I haven't gone through treatment for it, which maybe might need to be the next step for me as I've done so much work on my own, but yet every so often I'm like large pizza, pint of ice cream, no big deal. <laughs> it's fine. Um, and then it's not fine because then I start that cycle mm-hmm. of, I hate, why did you do this? Now, the interesting part that I do know I've grown because I don't, the cycle is not as long and it's not as loud. Yeah. The voice is not as mean. The voice is sometimes, yeah, that pizza was worth it. And so what? Move on. And I'm able to pick up. And so I feel like I'm getting there. Um, but the fact that I would feel the need to eat, you know, that much food. <laughs> is beyond me. It's like, really, why did you need to eat that much food? Um, And so that's kind of where I struggle because you're dealing with something, a substance that you have to have in your life, right? I mean, you have to eat. No one can make me, but I kind of need to. Yeah. Like I, you know, I didn't grow up like this really developed for me in my later teens. So I had, I did have a memory of kind of my life before it was like the before and after I remembered what it felt like to not think about food at all really? I mean, like kids never think, I mean, kids think about food when they're hungry, but that's really it. See, I had an opposite experience. I always, I can't remember a time where I didn't think about food. Yeah. And I think it was because when I was little, it was withheld. And so it became an obsession. But think about that, like, you know, in terms of, again, like going back to this issue about nurturing and taking care of yourself, right? Like Mm -hmm. that is dysregulated. Right. Really, really early. (laughs) Very early. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I hear parents and I'm not, you know, I am trained obviously as a developmental psychologist, but I don't work as a developmental psychologist now in part because it makes me a crazy, <laughs> it makes me a crazy mom. Like, you know, I don't, I feel like I overthink everything and then that's not helpful for anybody, but you know, I'll hear moms with, and this is not judging because it's coming from there. Like I really work with old, I work with, you know, women um, you know, m- mostly women, but I work with women who are older because it's their stuff that's coming out. It's their undealt with trauma. It's their unprocessed suffering and pain that they're transmitting to unwittingly on another person. And we all do it. It's not like, oh, shame on you. It's like, yeah, mea culpa, all of us, right? We've right. all, this is all of our journey on the earth. Like, this is what we're doing here we're all working through our stuff and we all work through it at various times of our life. Right. So, um, but you know, when I hear mom saying like, Oh, I can't, I can't put that entire plate of food in front of my child. They're just going to eat it all. And the kid's like two, you know, and you're like, um, okay. So your child is going to self-regulate at that age period. And the and not allowing a child to self-regulate at that age, right, is going to cause dysregulation in that, like, fundamental nurturance, really, which is what the problem is. Yeah. But I, but it's not to judge the mother and say, like, or the father, whoever is saying that. It's not to judge them and say that's terrible. How dare you do that? It's to say, no, this is an invitation for you to look at why. Why is that so scary to you? Why is allowing your two-year-old, you know, to regulate themselves with how much they need to have and stop when they're full 
because they will, right? Why is that frightening to you to relinquish the control of what you're feeding your kid? To yeah. relinquish the control of it, right? Yeah. That's the more interesting question. It's what needs to be healed in you. Everything, everything is broken. <laughs> no, it's a yeah. big question though. I mean, when you start looking, I mean, it, nothing will bring up your trauma and your inadequacies and, and feelings of such more than having a couple kids to raise oh because they will show you all the things that are wrong with you. <laughs> Yeah, and I use that usually. Yeah, my father is not not a psychologist, not a social scientist of any sort at all. But he had one very wise thing he said to me when my my son at the time was probably about three. And I remember my dad said, "If you have kids to fulfill you, you are on a road to misery. Like it is going to be a long and very painful journey. Right. You have kids to grow you, right? Then." then you're on the right track. If you're in this relationship to allow them to be the mirror and allow them to um, you know, show you where your work is, it's not to say it will mitigate the pain, but it will <laughs> certainly um, make it a much more beautiful journey. Yeah, yeah, that was news to me. I, I didn't know that um, having children was a pact of self-growth. Like, I was not aware of that. I was <laughs> too busy not understanding what that actually meant uh, yeah. at the time. But now I do. And um, I, I know, you know, Dr. Shafali, and I listen to her audiobooks when I'm on the Stairmaster sometimes, and I find myself just stepping really, really hard <laughs> as I'm listening, because I'm like, oh my God, I just... I can't, I can't all this self-growth. There's so much opportunity yeah. for growth. Yeah. yeah well, I think, you know, we can stay in our own little, we get, like there's enough of our own work to do, like without piling our shame of like, oh, I've now I've, you know, damaged or hurt other people in my life. It's like, yeah, yep, yeah. it's called the human experience. That's right. That's right. So talk a little bit about your area of expertise, positive psychology, because I thought that was really interesting when we talked about that on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I sort of wear two hats. Like one is my love of positive psychology, um, which is so in this journey of, the, of deciding at 23, that was when I decided I wanted to be a life coach. But it was, you know, it was really because this woman, I ended up calling her a year later and saying like, I'll I'm in, like, I will do anything to recover. I'm ready. And it was such a game changer for me. Um, and it just felt so different than therapy for me to have someone that was, uh, it was so future oriented. It was so action oriented, like all of that really just was such a game changer for me. So, um, you know, in that working with her, I just decided like, this is what I want to do with my life. Um, and then from there, I went to Penn and got my master's in positive psychology and then my PhD in developmental psych at Columbia. Um, but my real love for sure is positive psychology. I love, um, you know, by nature, I'm probably more like a sunnier disposition. Um, I love just, I love studying what's right with people. I love studying the causes and correlates of happiness. Like what makes us good at what we do? What makes us thrive? Um, you know, what are understanding both sort of like, what is it that, you know, remarkably happy people seem to know or to do? Maybe uh, it's something that a, a skill or something they developed, or maybe it's just a particular, um, you know, temperament or way of being like the research on, on well-being, understanding sort of the you know psychological sort of underpinnings of well-being. Um, the 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 research was really thin just 20 years ago. So this is really new. Um, and again, I think it's interesting, not again, but it's really important to understand that there's, you know, the field of psychology, and within it, there's lots of different domains. Positive psychology happens to be one of them. It's not its own separate field. It's not its own separate entity. No, it's part of this larger body of literature and work. But I think that the, um, you know, the, the call that was made by Marty Seligman and like around the turn of the millennium to focus on 
health and well-being and and sort of you know character strengths and virtue and what makes life worth living really understanding that end of the spectrum um, you know, he was basically called making, you know, a, a call to the psychological community to say, hey, we need more balance. We've spent a lot of time and a lot of energy um, and, and research dollars focusing on, you know, disease disorder, pathology, et cetera, right? But in right. following very much in alignment with this, with the, you have, like the medical model, right? The, where we're, our, you know, research dollars and what we focus on is mitigating acute illness. It's triage, right? We're focused right, right. on getting you from sick to not sick. Right. Where right. if we would just work on like the root of it and, and how do we have better lives in general, we wouldn't be sick <laughs> or right. not as sick. Right. No. Like it, there's, it's not the medical model, the Western medical model has not been focused on prevention. It hasn't been prevent, you know, focused on preventative care. It hasn't been focused on sort of like building healthy habits and life's, you know, um, approaches to life that mitigate some of these, like, you know, diseases of affluence that we have in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned something, what do, finding out what happy people know. And I, I like that. So what do happy people, I, I, I think I'm not an overall sunny person. Um, I have to work very hard to be sunny. <laughs> I'm kind of like the Care Bear with the cloud on his belly. Um, but I am the happiest version of Meredith that has ever lived so far. So, um, right. yeah. And so to measure my happiness versus, oh, that person's so sunny all the time, you know, it's not, it's apples and oranges because I have to look at the barometer of where I started and where I've ended up. And, um, so what I feel like happy people know is that they're able to listen to their own internal voice and really understand what they need. And then go after those needs with a sort of relentless doggedness that you may not think you have inside of you, <laughs> because that's what it's been for me. I'm like, I have these needs and I want them and I'm going to go after them. But that has led to a lot of happiness for me, like this whole pursuit of a, not pursuit of happiness, but yes, pursuit of happiness, the journey of the happiness is I get a lot of joy in. Yeah, I mean, first, I think that the most, you know, fundamental piece of that, which is important to point out, is self-trust. Oh, yeah. Right? Which like, is a struggle. I listen, there's a voice in me that I actually trust. That is not easy for a lot of people. Where do we lose that? I mean, I think that this, you know, going back to sort of early years of dysregulating our sense of, of like basic self-care, of not, you know, being parent in a way, parented in a way where we are taught that our needs aren't important, that yeah. what we are, um, that our feelings, our experience of life is minimized or, you know, dismissed. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's very important. It, there's a, I mean, we can have a whole conversation on emotions and the why emotions are just so essential to our well-being. I mean, all of our actions are generated by our emotion. And I brought my little like whiteboard because I thought if I could show you guys the model that I use with my clients, if it's useful. But, um, you know, I think that my, as I said, like my first love is positive psychology. I love researching this all day long. But I did feel that there was a certain point where I was teaching at Penn and I had students and I felt like this in my, for me personally, which is like, I knew all the things. I knew all the things. And then, but I couldn't necessarily implement them. And that, that you know, the intention action gap was so maddening for me. Right? I was like, ah, oh, I know. And, and, there is not a single person who doesn't know how to lose weight, stop drinking, um, you know, recover. Quit smoking, quit smoking. shopping. There's not a knowledge <laughs> problem here. Right. You know the things, right? I mean, I love it every time when I like go, you know, you like, like all the clickbait. It's like, you food that's going to revolutionize your metabolism. <laughs> I always stop, click on that. Stop, stop. Yeah. stop. Like, we all know there's no, no I always click on that one because I'm like, maybe there's finally a new food. Like I don't click on the, any of the others, but the new food ones get me every time. Cause one food yeah. and two new, and that sounds really, 
Right. Right. So it's like, you know, there's not a knowledge problem. There's more, you know, there's enough information on this lovely little device in front of my face, um, you know, that can tell me how to do those things. I can learn how to be less anxious. I can learn how to be more mindful. I can learn how to lose weight. I can learn how to stop drinking all the, all the things on this. Um, oh, it's the public health service calling to make sure that I'm okay. <laughs> Do you need to take that call? We can, we can record that. Let's listen. <laughs> but um, they're really, they're really keeping their tabs on me, which is very nice to feel cared for. Um, but uh, yeah, like we know the things. The question is, okay, we have all of this knowledge, but then do you apply it? Can you do it? This is where we, this is like the pit of despair for most of us, right? And the more we know and the more we learn, which is why there's like, you know, I, I sort of feel like to some point you get to like, you become sort of self-help roadkill, right? It's like you you've read all the things and then you can't, you're not implementing them, which almost feels worse. It's, so I, I think, you know, for me, I was this like shift maybe, you know, six, seven years ago in my career, I just became more than anything fascinated with how do we close this, you know, intention action gap? How do we actually help people overcome this, you know, just absolutely insanely frustrating gap between what we know and what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I, I kind of want to see you make your chart. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> what so, chart is this? I want to explain to you. So this is why, so I, I've been like playing around with the acronym. So it's not spelled correctly, but you, you, you get the idea. But anyway, the acronym is STEER. So S-T-E-A-R. So I, I know this is not spelled correctly for all of you people <laughs> out there that are going to be like, that's not spelled correctly. You're right. It isn't spelled incorrectly, but it just makes more, I, I want you, this is like the acronym to think about how you steer if, if, as if it was spelled S-T-E-E-R, to steer your brain, right? This is the process that your brain is going through and I'll explain to you. So S stands for um, a specific situation. Sorry, my handwriting is terrible. Um, T stands for thought. E stands for emotion. A stands for action. And R stands for result. I don't know if you guys can see that, but anyway. Okay. You just need a new, you just need a synonym for action that begins with an E. Explosion. Well, I actually like, <laughs> exactly. No, I actually like on purpose. I want to keep these two separate because when you're doing, this is what I call the cognitive coaching model. And when you're doing a model, it's just for shorthand, they'll say like, what's on your A line, what's on your E line. It's just easier to have them all. Oh yeah. So separate. you know what you're doing. I don't. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing. Okay. So the specific situation event, um, you know, Albert Ellis, sort of original gangster of cognitive behavioral therapy, Albert Ellis and Aaron Beck. But Albert Ellis had a model, it was ABC, which was activating event creates a belief and the belief then creates a consequence. So this is a little bit more flushed out version of his model because the consequence is twofold. The consequence from your belief is both emotional and behavioral, both. So this specific situation is always neutral, always. So this is anything that's out of your control is in this line. That is other people, I'm sorry to say, other people's Other behavior. people. <laughs> <laughs> other people, go here, guys. Other people, um, you know, geopolitics, the weather, um, a gentleman eating a live bat in... China and us having this virus or, you know, around the globe, like it's totally out of our control, right? Um, this is the specific situation, but it's always neutral. It's not good or bad until we have one of these, until we yeah. have thought and about it, until we evaluate it, right? And when I'm saying neutral, I don't mean it's good. Neutral does not mean good. Neutral means neutral. 
Digital means tabula rasa. It means, it means, it's just a thing. It just is. And someone might have a thought that makes them, you know, a thought that creates anger. Someone might have a thought that creates frustration. Someone might have a thought that creates compassion, right? But the point is, so you have, you know, this is the only part of the model that is out of your control. The rest of this is yours, right? So you, there's a, something happens in the world. Something happens to you. Here, let's use an example. Let's, ah. let's do, um, I'm on a flight. I'm very excited about this time to myself and to be oh. away from noisy people yep. and, the, and such. And the dude sits down next to me with his giant bag of lays and a chewing problem. Go. <laughs> I love it. Okay. I love it. So you're on, so the specific situation, right, would be, you want to write it as if you're like Walter Cronkite reporting the news. Okay. Today on, today so by the way, I just want to point out, Meredith, you have a thought that you think is a fact, which is that he has a chewing problem. This is very subjective, right? This is a thought, not a, that it's not an actual situation. But this, that's really not a, a true fact in life. Come on. Can we, can we call that? Can we like, uh, you what do you call, call it? That, grandfather like, that one in? With his mouth open. Okay, just factually. But it's chewing problem already. I just want you guys to pay attention to how quickly her brain is evaluating <laughs> that this person's an asshole. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. yeah. Okay. okay. She's like, man on plane next to me with Lay's bag chewing with his mouth open. That's the situation. In a way that elicits audible sounds. <laughs> exactly. Repeatedly. Right. And slurping. Exactly. Exactly, right? Like I just, just want to report that properly. His, exactly. His chewing is loud. Okay, got his it. Chewing is audible. I like audible better than loud because loud is also so subjective. But the point is, is that this is the specific situation that activated this. <laughs> Which <Okay>. is murder. <laughs> You're sitting on the plane with someone chewing next to you, right? That's yes. Okay. And your thought is what? This activates what thought? That activates the thought, oh, it's just, I have, I have misophonia or whatever. Um, but the thought is usually sweet baby Jesus. I can't freaking believe this. How, and then like this person's an idiot. I'm going to murder them. But the murder might be emotion. But that's the thought usually. <laughs> how okay, did this so happen? How did this happen to me? So the thought, this is never a question. So answer the question. Like what's, or what's the problem here? What are you telling yourself is the problem? That dude, he's the, he problem. the problem. He's your problem? Yeah, he's my problem. <laughs> like everything on this flight would be great. If this guy was not sitting next to me. This guy was not sitting next to me. Yeah. Okay. So when you're thinking that thought, how does this feel? The emotion is usually like what anger. What's the emotion that you're feeling? Anger? It's usually anger and it's coupled with a sense of like, um, the world is against me. Like only me, you know, I'll text someone only me, you know, here's the guy, because it really does seem laughable at this point that I am always sitting next to the chip chewer. But, um, yeah, the emotion is anger and a sense of, <laughs> this is such an amazing story. You're like, <laughs> I always am sitting next to the chip chewer. There's no time on the plane that I'm not sitting next to the no, chip chewer. No, and I had, you, know like you, you create this result of sitting next to the chip chewer every time. I you have stood up. I have stood up before the flight has taken off and looked around one time. I was like, to see if there was any other chip chewers on the plane. Because I thought maybe every other row, there's a chip chewer. And, you know, the odds are, are not... They're, they're really in my favor. I might sit next to a chip. No, there was no one. There was no one eating anything on the entire plane, but this guy. <laughs> anyway, carry on. <laughs> Your brain is going to make everybody a chip chewer. You know that. <laughs> okay. Your brain, because the, the way you're thinking, eventually yeah. everybody will be a chip chewer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you have this thought, which is, this man is ruining my flight my quiet, wonderful, quiet time. Right. Okay, and you, when you're thinking that thought, that thought makes you feel what? 
emotion? Anger. Anger. Okay, so Meredith thinks right now that this situation up here, this guy chewing is what's making her feel angry, but that's not what's happening. What's actually happening is she has this thought that is making her feel angry. This is mediating this relationship, right? So you have this thought, she's like, I know you're wrong. I'm 100%, you are 100% wrong. He's really the guy. What am I thinking now, Sasha? <laughs> Because like your face, you're like, uh-huh, right, uh-huh. Like, sure. No, no, I'm listening. I, I believe you. I believe you. You have this thought that is making you feel super pissed. And when you're feeling pissed, what do you do? In that moment, what do you do? Um, I glare at them. But your emotion always generates your actions, right? Yeah. I yeah, I glare at them. Mm -hmm. Like you need to be reading my mind right now because I am like hitting you with flames from my eyes you're like, um, I'm laser beaming you to understand that you're loud and rude and obnoxious and you need to stop right chewing. with your audible <laughs> chewing yeah <laughs> yeah i do that or i'll like huffer it's such so this is a great example because this is pure childishness but this is what i do i'll be like and like every time there's a chomp or i'll look around to see if anyone else sees this injustice yeah happening yeah truth by the way, curiously, are they? Are you getting like the? No. Why doesn't anyone else see? No, I have there because this happens every flight. So usually they're, and if I'm in the middle seat, I can like recruit the one on the other side of me. Like, do you hear this? You know, so because any chance I get to like bring an army, I'm like, who's with me? No, of course. By the way, everybody's brain does this. So you have this thought that he's ruining this, like my wonderful flight would be nice and peaceful and relaxable but this guy's ruining my flight and then you feel angry and when you feel angry you glare at him you yeah. give him lots of body language that is like what is wrong with you can you not understand my non-verbal communication that you are an a-hole and you need to stop chewing yeah and then you also make eye contact with other people around you where you're like yeah this guy yeah right with me Okay. And sometimes I will find my own loud snack to mimic. That has happened once or twice. So good. Okay, so that's awesome. So then you're like, now I'm going to take my snack and I'm going to out snack you with I'm going to out obnoxious you. So that's excellent. Right? It's so good. Yeah. And what's going on in your brain when this is happening? Like I'm just it's like murder. Like I am so mad. Like yeah. it is like nonstop rumination, right? Just Yeah, I can't not I can't unhear it. I can't unsee it and smell it. Like it's just, it overcomes me. Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> right. So then what is the result that you create from those actions? Your result. What did you create? My, yeah, my result is I've just like ruined my entire flight. Uh -huh. Like I, I've just like, ru if not the flight, the day, the productivity, the like po any positive emotions I had, like it's just like in the tank. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you have this, you, the result that you create with this thought that he's ruining my life, like he's ruining my flight and my peace and my equanimity and everything, right? Yeah. You create that result right? with that thought that you ruin your equanimity, your peace, your flight, right? You do that. Yeah. He's just being himself, his <laughs> lovely chip-chewing self. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. No. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Okay. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. All I want you to see, like, this is the first step. It's a mindfulness tool. It's just to slow you down where you're like, okay, hold on a second. What is happening here is called cognitive bias. And that means that your brain, right, is wired to prioritize information that aligns with our current belief system. So your yes. system is this guy is ruining my life on this flight with his audible chewing. And so you are going to, your brain is like, oh, good to know. This is what we're looking for, right? Yes. So your brain is processing six to seven, your brain is processing 10 to 11 million bits of information per second. 
And that's the one it clings to. It's looking for so the chip eater. <laughs> your mind, your thoughts are what is directing the lens. Because what our brain does better than anything, filters stuff out, not pay attention to things. That's what your brain does better than anything else. There's so much happening right now in your body that you have zero attention, no attention yeah. to. Right. The minute, like if I said to you right now, like, can you feel your clothes on your leg? Can you feel your pants on your leg? And all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, totally can. But three minutes ago when I was engaged in the conversation with you, I had zero awareness of that feeling, that sensation, right? Right. Okay. And I can do that. Like I tune out, I can go into like focus, like, but yeah. somehow chip eating pulls me out. <laughs> It's what, what, what would be so interesting is to like really dig into, like if I had time with you. Well, oh, I, I know where it comes from. Okay. I where know where it, it comes from? from. It comes from really bad table manners around my table, my dinner table at home as a child. Um, inexcusable lip smackers and bad table manners coming from the adults in my life and me unable to say anything to them because I was a child to be seen and not heard, even though it was paining me to watch <laughs> and so that's where it comes from like it's okay. and I don't know why it pained me as a kid to watch it probably because I was only allowed to eat a little bit of food and they kept eating and smacking and it's like keeps digging deeper and deeper and then I just had no food I was hungry and but it's so interesting right like yeah. the sound that's coming into your ear is so neutral is it though <laughs> it is it is it 100% is. It's coming in as a vibration and then your brain interprets what it is. Yeah. It's just, it's just a vibration in your ear. It's no different than me like knocking my desk. It's just a vibration. It's literally, and then your brain interprets what it is. So it's like I hear, you know, a certain kind of sound and my brain is making a lightning fast interpretation as to what that sound is and what it means to me. Is it threatening to me? Is it soothing to me? Is it, right? I mean, your the voice your parents voice the, the particular resonance of your caregiver's voice soothes your nervous system because your brain is making a lightning fast interpretation of like this is safety this voice is safe to me if that indeed that if it is safe yeah right <laughs> right so it, you're you're having an it, like literally all that's happening is a vibration is hitting your you know the inner inner workings of your ear and your brain is interpreting what that is. And you're like, lip smacking, chip cheeking <laughs> asshole, right? And you're so mad. Yeah. Just the vibration, it's totally neutral. All so, right, I will accept here's that. The point. This is the point. This part of the model here, right? This is 100% yours. And by the way, you are more than welcome to be pissed at the lips, the chip chewer. Like, who cares? Like, I don't care. It is, there is no rule that you have to be like sanguine and pleased that you are sitting next to a chip chewer. Like, it doesn't matter. All I'm saying is that you get to make a choice as to whether you want the result of your flight and your day being ruined. That's your choice. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Like you told, there are plenty of things on this earth I choose to be indignant and pissed about. Yeah. Believe me. Right. But I have to recognize that it is my autonomous choice to be upset about it. Right. And I do that. I do that with most things. Yeah. yeah. And I, I totally, you know, like COVID-19, the news, whatever, like it's a choice, like losing income, all of these things. It's like, I, I feel like I have a choice in that, but somehow chip chewers, but I just think we established where it came from. And now I know <laughs> kind of where I need to like do the work. Right, so and I'm sorry we spent all this time on so chip chewing, is, but this is the model. This is the basic model of like understanding how your thoughts create your results. Right. So it just, it's not woo woo. It's science. Like this is how your brain does this. But here's the thing. This is your, you know, we call this the, ve the Velcro Teflon effect in psychology, which is not, does not sound like a very technical term, but it's essentially because your brain prioritizes information that affirms your current belief system and your brain will actively dismiss and ignore information that disputes your current belief system. That's how your brain works. 
right? So if, if there's any wonder that we all like, you know, have our little world of, you know, the news channels that we listen to and the way that we, what we, you know, the information that we watch, it's like, we love to watch stuff that affirms what we already believe. It's, it takes so much mental energy to change our thoughts. And our whole system is designed to be efficient, right? right we want right. to conserve energy. So just actually questioning your thinking is like a lot of mental energy. Your brain uh, is actually, it siphons off most of the energy of our body, right? So asking your brain to do extra work, your brain is going to try to avoid that, right? right. We're designed to want to avoid the extra work. So this is how your brain, you know, this is sort of like, you know, cognitive bias laid out or confirmation bias called also called confirmation bias. You may have heard about that name. Anyway, this is it laid out. And, but the beautiful thing is this thought, your brain will unconsciously go to work proving whatever this thought is true. Okay. So that means like this can be your biggest enemy or your biggest ally. Because if you're right. doing the work to change your beliefs, you will create results. The result, it's like draw an arrow back here because the result is always going to give you evidence that your thought is true. So if you're like, this man is ruining my life, you will create an entire flight where your life has been ruined <laughs> by your brain and you're going to use it as evidence that this was correct. You're like, see, told you. Right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so, and, and I, I can think of no other example in my life that that occurs more than with that chip chewing thing. But I, I have known too, that, you know, to, if I want to change something about a situation, a specific situation, that, that thought, I have known that for a while, that, that, that gateway thought is everything so you're presented with a situation you say easier said than done this will never happen i can't possibly then there you go well what's so fascinating is um there you have so many thoughts to uncover right like there's a, some thought prohibiting you from turning to your nice companion on the plane and saying excuse me sir would you mind chewing with your mouth closed but no i would never a whole load of yeah. Right? I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying one could, right? You're like, that is absolutely, you know, God forbid, you know, not because you're telling me that like your story is that you always sit next to the chip chewer. You could also just buy like really nice noise canceling earphones and make sure that no matter who you're sitting next to, you cannot hear anything, right? I've got them now. <laughs> got them now. No, but like, it's just so fascinating because what happens, you guys, is that you're not, he's not pissing you off. You are pissing yourself off. No one hurts our feelings. We hurt our own feelings. Now, I will give this caveat of like, I'm talking to adults, to grownups, not a grown, whatever, you know, people that have a fully formed brain. Like, I'm not talking about kids, our relationship with kids and their responsibility to be caregivers and take care of kids is different. But as a, the work of adulting, the work of being a grown up is to take full responsibility, 100% responsibility for your thoughts, emotions, actions, and results. These are yours, right? But I don't wanna. You don't want to, cause it's, it's, like, it's like digging into like a, quart of ice cream is blaming other people for our problems. Yeah. It's delightful, right? It's like this great indulgence. It feels so good in the moment. Like I don't have to take any responsibility. It's his fault. Yeah. My internal experience, like as if he's crawled into your brain and is ruining your day, it's like, no, you've crawled into your brain and are ruining your day. And it feels so much nicer to have to, just to blame him because then we then abdicate having any responsibility to do anything about it. Right. Yeah. 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 This is beautiful. This is beautiful because I truly do believe that we are responsible for everything you just said. I, I mean, deep in my heart, I know that. And I know, and I've known it about the chip tour too, but I didn't quite know how to work through that one. Cause I really just decided I had an ear disease that came alive. Well, I, 
Is this, oh, you have like an actual something in your ear that makes it. I think so. That, that, that vibrates when the chips go. It's like, da, 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 da. you know, there's, it's a, it's a okay. real thing. <laughs> Some people do have, are more sensitive to sound than others. That is true. But I will tell you this, like, you know how I know that we can tune, that we're amazing at tuning things out. My daughter yesterday came into my room with like a, a paper made like megaphone. And she was like, Ma, <laughs> to get my attention. And I was like, that is quite creative. And I'm going to take that in the best possible way. Yes. How can I help you? <laughs> well, one of the things that Nir Ayal was on uh, Saturday night on the podcast, and he was, we were talking about how we can't find any time to like be uninterrupted at the moment because um we're home with everyone right yeah. and so he suggested getting like a crazy hat or like a tiara or a crown to wear so your children will ha know that when the crown is on they are not to approach or just you know speak and i i broached that subject with my son upstairs he's like that makes perfect sense get you a crown <laughs> i was like oh they don't know that um i yeah need that time so you might benefit from that too sasha just with all my, I, mean, I think there's like a wizard hat in our playroom that would be really good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't no, want to run over your time. I know we've probably this, gone over. Like, this is it. This is the fundamental tool, you guys. Yeah. You can always just, this. what I love about this tool is that you can just fill in the model. Like I have my clients do models every day. I have them do a thought download, which means literally dump all the stuff that's on your in your brain on paper. And here's... What, this is what I would you know, offer you as an exercise. Dump everything on in your brain on paper that's pissing you off. So if you have this guy sitting next to you, you could just in your journal be like, write it, get it out. This is, this is the time to like, to whinge, to whine, to complain, to be your least evolved self. Get it out on paper and just out. Then you can go through that list, you know, the, the download, the like brain dump. Um, the, and then circle anything that's an actual fact. And by mm -hmm. I mean, when I fact, I mean something that every human on the planet would like either agree upon, or is that a, like a general fact that everybody agrees upon or right? Like something that would be universally agreed. There are almost none. There are very few facts. You will be like, oh, there's only one fact. He's a man and he's eating. <laughs> like literally that's it you're like there's so few facts that you can actually circle that are actual facts the facts go here the rest of it is here and then you try to find the sentence try to find the phrase or the sentence one just one sentence it's just one sentence what's the sentence in your brain that is causing you to suffer right whatever that may be and right now with covid and everything that's going on it might be um, your or self quarantine, it might be a thought that's creating like enormous amount of fear. Maybe a thought that's causing panic. It might be something um, like extreme levels of disappointment, um, grief, right? So you want to find what the thought is that's causing the emotion, and this is this this is at the T here, right? Like this is spilling the tea. This is the most important part of the model because thought emotion action cycle right everybody like we just think we do things no we don't just do things we do things because we feel something always always so whenever you're doing something you're like okay i'm in the pantry and i'm halfway through the bag of pretzels or whatever you're you know the granola it's always the granola at 11 o'clock at night i don't know what it is with my clients it's like it's granola at 11 o'clock i'm allergic to oats so that i'm safe from granola thank god but like they're halfway through eating something it's like okay there's nothing wrong with you but what you need to figure out is what is the emotion that is generating this action right that's like this is the critical thing so anyway this is just a mindfulness tool for you to use um, steer, steer your mind spelled incorrectly. This is the acronym you can use to just slow it way down and try to understand like, what is, um, what am I telling myself that's creating, you know, an emotion, action and a result that I don't like. Yeah.
Yeah. This is awesome. I don't like you though, because now what am I gonna do about this chip thing? <laughs> now you're gonna go buy some, yeah, get your fancy earphones and then you'll be fine. Oh my gosh. Well, Sasha, thank you so much. This was great. And I'm gonna send this, I'm gonna actually probably clip this part about this experiment into a video, a short video to share because I feel like it was hilarious and so so visual for everyone. So thank you. I knew it helped me. I'm so glad. Like here's the deal with working on your mind. You cannot pull, you know, the uh, the hood. You can't look under the hood of your brain and not laugh because it's largely irrational and crazed. Everybody. Everybody has a human if we are all of the same condition, it's called being a human. And it means that our brains are extremely irrational. So like you you have to have a sense of humor about what's going on in here. It's just nonsense. As you know. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much, friend. I will post the links to your social and your website, but I appreciate it. And I'm glad you're oh, well. Thank you. I'm, I'm here to tell the tale, but um, yeah, I'm so glad. It was so fun to talk to you today. Thank you, dear. We'll see you soon. All right. Okay. Bye. bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the same 24 hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.